Why is New City Fellowship so special? It's where God is blending his family from all peoples, from various cultures and backgrounds into one family to worship Jesus Christ. We're like family. We sing together, we pray together, and we share each other's burdens. We'll look around. Um, it's plenty of people with different backgrounds, creeds, and colors all celebrating one thing, and that is Jesus. For me, New City is a snapshot of eternity. It reminds me of the time when people from different ethnicities and cultures will be coming together worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's special because of its people. We come together, that is our goal, that is our focus, to honor and praise the same God. That's it. All right, we did that because we wanted you to hear uh, about our vision from each other. And we've been in this series called We Are. We are propelled by our vision, rooted in our identity, and kind of coming off our year anniversary service, we just wanted to restate who we are, who God has called us to be, and, and, um, and recast the vision, talk about who we are as a people. And today, uh, we're talking about we are joining together to worship Jesus. Father God, we do thank you that we get to come here as your blended family, join together to worship Jesus and do spirit-led deeds of justice and mercy. And we pray today that as we look at who Jesus is, um, that we will want to worship because we see how glorious he is. I pray that you would take my words and uh, make them more through your spirit that I could ever do on my own. Uh, give us a clear picture of who Christ is and his ex exaltation, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Say everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood, through his blood shed on the cross. That's the word of the Lord. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. That word worship, we tend to think about it as a religious word, but it'd be better for us just to think about it as a life word because everyone centers their life around something. That's worship. Everyone looks to something to give their life meaning and significance. That's worship. Everyone worships something. Some people center their lives on their career. If my career goes a certain way, my life has meaning and significance. Some people center their lives around their family. If my family looks a certain way or we achieve certain things together, my life has significance. They're looking to their family to worship and center their lives on something. Some people join a movement thinking, if this movement succeeds, my life has meaning and significance. Or they look to a thing or a person. 
to fill that void in their heart. They look to a thing or a person to worship. See, all of us have this God-shaped hole in our heart. We've talked about this, the God-shaped hole in our heart. Since we're separated from God, there's this void that was meant to be filled with us living in the presence of God. But since Adam and Eve sinned, we're separated from God. And we have a God-shaped void in our life. And so we're looking for something to fill that void. And the thing is, is we can take good things and try and make them God things. We can take things that God has created and try and fill the void that only God could fill. And that's why it's always difficult because it's not that they're bad things. Your career, your family, uh, the pursuits in your life, those are good things. But we always take those things and make them ultimate things. We take God's good things and try and worship them, center our lives around them, look to them to give us significance and meaning. And here's the thing, none of those things can handle the weight of being worshiped. None of them are worthy of being worshiped and they can't handle the weight of being worshiped. For instance, if you worship your wealth, you know, to have money's not a bad thing, right? Say amen. Okay, to have money is not a bad thing, but when you look to money to give you meaning and significance, what does it do? It enslaves you, right? Because you've got to keep your eye on it every moment. You've, you've got to center your life around the fact that you don't want to lose any money. It can't handle being worshipped. It can't handle you centering your life around it. What about your appearance? In South Florida, a lot of people worship their appearance. Now, looking attractive and looking good, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But what happens when you say, my life is not meaningful, my life is not significant, unless I'm beautiful, unless I'm handsome? What happens? You begin to be trapped as you worship your own appearance. And it cannot handle the weight of being worshiped. That was not something that was meant to, to center our lives around or to give us significance. If you love somebody, it's a good thing, right, to fall in love. But what happens when that love turns to worship? My life has no meaning unless that person loves me back in the way I see fit. What happens? You lose yourself. You get enmeshed with that other person. That other person usually distances themselves from you because they don't want to be worshiped. See, nothing can handle the weight of being worshiped and nothing is worthy of our worship. And yet we're always looking for things to center our life around. We're always looking for things to be worshiped. Oftentimes in our culture, kids can be worshiped, right? Kids can't handle that weight though, because once they realize that they're in charge and that everything centers around them, what do they do? Well, when they're young, they take advantage of it. They realize they can get away with anything. But when they're old, what ends up happening is they distance themselves from their parents because they, didn't, they can't handle the weight of being worshiped. What I want you to see is that there's always things in our life that we're trying to center our lives around. We're trying to give us, use to give us meaning. We're trying to find something to worship. And none of those things can handle the weight of being worshiped. It will always either enslave you or it will fail you as you seek to worship. But here's the thing. In our passage today, we learn that Jesus is worthy of worship and he can handle the weight of being worshiped. In verse 6, 15 and 16, I want to read it again. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, 
The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus is God revealed. He is God revealed. He's the visible presence of the invisible God. And therefore, just by that, he is worthy of our worship. When Jesus came, there were several accounts in the gospels where people, he would do a miracle and people would bow down and worship him. And Jesus would not stop them because he's God. And he is worthy of worship. Jesus is God revealed. And as God revealed, he has an unmatched position. He has a high status. There's nothing else in the entire universe that's as high and lifted up as Jesus. He's worthy of worship. But all things were created by him and through him and for him. Think about that. Everything that's created was created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for the pleasure of Jesus. When we talk about Christianity, we're not just talking about a a religion where we say, hey, religion's about Jesus, you should follow Jesus. What we're saying is that all of existence and all of life is about Jesus and for Jesus. It's all for him. Jesus created all things, it was created by him and for him and through him. All of life is really about Jesus Christ you begin to start to see that nothing else can handle the weight of worship. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of worship. He's the only thing that can really actually handle our lives being centered around. He's the only thing that can handle that that much significance and that much meaning. He's really the only thing that's worthy of true worship. But he can also handle the weight of our worship. In verse 17 through 20, it says that he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I've been looking for years for a way to explain and to understand the fact that Jesus holds all things together. What does that even mean? Does it mean that Jesus is like the glue of the universe? I'm not sure we could find words to unpack what that means in a way that our minds can comprehend. But what we do know is that Jesus is the weightiest thing in the entire cosmos. There's nothing more significant than him and he can handle the weight of being worshiped because Jesus holds all things together. If you look at our solar system, what's the thing that holds our solar system together? From the sun. The sun is the weightiest, most significant thing in the universe. And all the planets rotate around the sun. And yet we often live life as if Saturn is the center. By that I mean we take things that aren't meant to be the center and we try and rotate our lives around them. But just as the sun is the center of the universe, everything revolves around that. Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power, as it says in Hebrews 1.3. Just as the planets look to the sun, we're created to look to Jesus for meaning and significance. And therefore, you know, as we think about different things that make up our world, like some people say, my kids are my world. Amen, take care of your kids, love your kids. 
But yet, if your kids are your world, you have to remember that Jesus holds the world and the entire cosmos in the palm of his hands. Jesus can handle the weight of, be, of worship. There's nothing more worthy, nothing more weightier, nothing more significant than Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing. As powerful and as authoritative and as significant and meaningful as Jesus is, he loves us. And he came to serve us by dying on the cross. Paul says that God's fullness came in the person of Jesus. Through Jesus, we now know God because Jesus is God. He reconciled us to God through his shed blood on the cross. That's amazing that someone so significant and mighty and worthy of worship would actually come and serve the likes of us. That's amazing. But now he's the head of the church, this group of sinners who have been redeemed. And although you and I, honestly, we're not that significant, our lives are gonna be over like that, yet we're connected to the most significant person in the history of existence. He says, you're mine. You're with me. You're part of this movement of new life on the world. You're, you're part of God showing his love to the city. There's nothing more significant than me, and yet you're part of me. And that's amazing. Jesus is head of the church, and he's including us and in making all things new. And as we talk about joining together to worship Jesus, as we get a picture of who Jesus is and how high up it is, we have to begin to think it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. In other words, the lack of worship leads us to mission. We see people out there building their lives around things that are gonna fall apart. And those things that they're building their life around aren't worthy of worship, nor can they handle the worship. But Jesus is worthy of the worship and can handle the worship. And therefore, as we see the lack of people bowing before Jesus, it drives us to mission. It drives us to say, I see the hole in your heart and I know what can fill it. I see the brokenness in your life and I know what can fix it. I see that you're looking to build your life around something and I know the person at the center. The lack of worship in our city leads us to mission. Leads us to mission because we're connected to Jesus. But worship is also done uh, not just in here, but out there. Sunday afternoon through Saturday night, our lives are meant to be filled with worship. Look at what uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, one through two. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. What Paul's telling us is that worship isn't just singing together. It's actually living for Jesus out there in the world. It's actually saying the world, the system of thought that's not about God has a way of thinking about things and a way of living and a way of loving that is foreign to God. And part of our worship is that we let our minds be changed by the mind of God. We learn to think about things as God thinks about them. We learn to live as God tells us to live. We learn to love the things that God loves. Not to earn anything from God, but because he's already been merciful to us by sending us Jesus. 
And Paul says that whole process of letting God change you so that you can live according to God's character in the world, all of that is worship. It's all worship. It's not just something that happens for an hour on Sunday morning. It's everything that we do Sunday afternoon through Saturday night. Look what Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. In other words, every moment of our life, every little detail can be done with Jesus as the center in order that we might bring him glory. And that can be something by just saying, Lord, thank you for this meal. You provided this meal. Lord, thank you for this job. I wanna live for you at this job. I wanna I want be a representative of Jesus Christ. Thank you for my family. The details of our lives are also worship when we live them out with Jesus at the center. But Paul does tell us that worship is also expressed when we're here together on Sunday mornings. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, Paul writes this, be filled by the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Uh, there's this belief that um, I'm worshiping God with my life, but I don't have to be part of a church to do it. Well, Paul kind of debunks that here because he actually says part of being filled with the Spirit is that you're connected to other believers and you're worshiping with them through singing through singing, through mutual love and mutual care, through learning to walk with each other. That's all worship. And our worship happens on Sundays when we join together. So being part of a church is important. We're joined together to worship Jesus. We're joined together to worship Jesus. Today, I'm excited about today because um, we're gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna ask Ellie to come up. There she is. Welcome, Ellie. And part of, yeah, the whole worship team, actually. Part of what we wanted to do was give you a, just a broad framework for what worship is in our lives, but also to say part of what our vision is, is to do worship in a way that lifts up Jesus together. To, to do worship in a way that gives expression to the various cultures that we come from. And so our worship team has offered to help today, they're gonna, they're gonna do a little bit of um, sharing a testimony uh, about some si things significant to them in worship. So I'm gonna turn it over to them. So we're gonna show you this Spanish song and it's called Buenos Alabarte Jehová, which means it's good to worship you, Lord. And so this song is very significant to me because I grew up um, in a Hispanic church where they sing this a lot. And so it was, it's a very Latino kind of song because um, it shows the celebration and the joyful side of Latino worship. And so it has a lot of like, it has this rhythm called Habanera rhythm. So it's something like this, like. So it's a little bit of, you know, it's Latino in that way. So feel free to like move around if you want and clap and join. It's part of the like worshiping Jesus as a family, like Latinos are very big with family, and celebrating who God is. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the, what this song means, and it's, the whole song is based on Psalm 92, which says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, 
to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And that's what this song is all about. It's saying it in Spanish, like, I want to declare your faithfulness to you, God, and I want to declare um, your mercies in the day and in the night. Uh, so, okay, if you want to <laughs> repeat after me, it's a bit of a tongue twister, okay, but hopefully we can sing this again more times and we'll learn it, but, okay, it goes, Bueno es alabarte Jehová, and that's the rhythm, right? So now you try. Bueno es alabarte Jehová, and then the second part is, Cantar salmos a tu nombre, Cantar salmos a tu nombre. Okay, then together, that's all like connected. Bueno es alabarte Jehová y cantar salmos a tu nombre. Yeah, okay. So, uh, let's, yeah, I'm going to start it and you can join along. It's kind of like a call and response song. So I'll sing and then you repeat, you know, so I think we'll be able to catch on to it. Okay, ready? Yes. So. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> Anuncia con la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Anuncia con la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Bueno es bueno alabarte, yo voy a cantar salmos a tu nombre. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. ¿Quién es el que vive? Cristo es el que vive. ¿Quién es el que salva? Cristo es el que salva. A su nombre gloria, a su nombre gloria, a su nombre gloria, a su nombre gloria. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Así, así, así se alaba a Dios. Así, así, así se alaba a Dios. Con mucha alegría y gozo, con mucha alegría y gozo, con mucha alegría y gozo. Así se alaba a Dios. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Bueno es alabarte, yo voy a cantar salmos a tu nombre. Bueno es alabarte, yo voy a cantar salmos a tu nombre. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Anuncia por la mañana tu misericordia y tu fidelidad de noche. Bueno es alabarte, yo voy a cantar salmos a tu nombre. Very good, you guys did it. Woo! That was really fun. Wow, that was actually. You guys surprised us. You guys did really good. Wow, maybe it's because we're in South Florida. You guys are picking up on the Spanish. I love it. Mi gente, I love it. Okay, so we're also, we just talked about how we worship in different styles, right? And how we worship, um, and we hear each other's stories when we worship in different styles. So when we sung in Spanish, we entered into Ellie's story. 
and how she grew up worshiping him suddenly became all of our stories because we're all one family of God, amen? amen. That's a beautiful thing when that happens. And I think um, it kind of harkens back to this idea that we're always, our vision is New City, right? It's that time when Jesus comes back, right? And every nation is gonna worship him, amen? So there's a verse that, that speaks on that and it goes like this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Somebody say, every knee. Every knee. knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue. Somebody say, every tongue. Every tongue. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want us to, to draw our attention how it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's something about the presence of God that causes us to respond with our bodies. It doesn't just say every mind will understand. When we see God, we will worship him with all of us, with all of what we have. So I wanna encourage you guys to stand in this time. Um, I wanna make this a space for us to worship God with our bodies. For some people, it's kneeling. For some people, it's sitting at your chair. For some people, we're right here, right? Some people touch down. Some people up here. But this is a space for you to worship God in whatever way that he's calling you to. So let's do that together as we sing the anthem, as we celebrate his victory. By his stripes, we are healed. By his nail, peace. His blood, we're washed clean. Now we have the victory. The power of sin is broken. Jesus overcame it all. He has won our freedom. Jesus has won it all. Hallelujah. You have won the victory. something different today uh, just to draw you in uh, to worship and what it might mean for us to be a body that's growing and coming together and worshiping Jesus. Um, today, 
how we're gonna end our service is something unique. It's, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together and we've never actually done that together. Uh, so it's exciting. Amen. What I wanna do is uh, actually, we'll have the kids come on in and sit down just for a minute. And I wanna take just a moment and do just a little bit of background on what the Lord's Supper is and teach for a few moments about it before we take it, since it is our first time. You know, one of the amazing things is that we say we're joining together to worship Jesus. And the Lord's Supper, another name for it is communion, common union. We're connected together through what Christ has done on the cross. We're now one family joining together with him as the center of the things that are not only holding the universe together, but holding us together as God's blended family.